Thank you, praise team. Appreciate that. There's some powerful words in those lyrics, wouldn't you agree? And it's good that they were singing about the Spirit because we're going to be talking some more about the Spirit. And the word, the word that grabbed me was that changes. The Spirit changes us. It changes everything. Everything we see, everything we seek. So get ready for change. Um, I appreciate the introduction earlier, Paul. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is John Brooker. I'm part of the pastoral teaching team. Also do a few other things around the church here. Uh, but if you haven't been with us yet, this is your first time maybe dialing in or with us this evening. We are in a series this summer that uh, we've entitled uh, Welcome Holy Spirit. Uh, and as you may recall, back to the opening message on the subject, um, Pastor Jeff noted that some Christians uh, are very eager and excited to talk about the, uh, you know, God the Father, Jesus. We were just learning some more about Jesus with uh, Jenna, right? Uh, but when it comes to Holy Spirit, we tend to shy away a little bit from that. Michael Thompson touched on that last week. I like the way he said it. You know, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, right? So, uh, and I will have to admit to you that I have a tendency in the past and still at some occasions to be like that, to be in that crowd, uh, to kind of shy away from the things of the Holy Spirit, to getting into any real deep um, uh, exploration, which you probably say, well, what are you up there doing tonight, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so I've had to ask myself questions, the question over time, why is that? Why do I have that tendency to shy away? Okay, so I think it's because, I've done a lot of thinking about this, a lot of meditating on this, and I think it's because of the persons of, this, of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it's the specific, one of the specific jobs of Holy Spirit to convict me, right? We read in John 16, 8, where uh, uh, Jesus says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and, and judgment, uh, so Holy Spirit is the one who challenges me and the way I'm living when it's not in line with God's will. All right? It's a challenge. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but sometimes it's downright painful. And so I think, well, that's a natural reaction to shy away from painful experience, right? Amen? Um, but, but that's part of the package. It's part of the, the, the overall process and the overall benefit. So I've had to convince myself through study and meditation that that's part and parcel. We have, there's an end goal here, and that's part of how we, how we reach that end goal. And it made me think of, uh, of, the per, of a personal trainer. So, you know, you've got a fitness, uh, you, you've, you've got some fitness goals. You look at yourself, you know, maybe you don't eat right. Maybe you're not happy with your weight. You don't have any energy. Whatever the case may be, your doctor's telling you your cholesterol is too high. And so you hire a professional who has the skills and the training and the background uh, that you don't have to be able to help you meet your personal fitness goals. And you're inviting that person into your life to do these things, Right. And so, and, and why, why personal trainers are usually more successful than just trying to do it on your own is because there's another human being there that you're accountable to. Somebody that's, that's correcting you as you're doing your exercises, you're not doing the squat right. Or in some cases, they're even at the grocery store with you, put that back on the shelf. Don't, don't, don't. And it's harder 
to ignore that when there's somebody right there in your life. So I think the same dynamic there is when Holy Spirit is in our life, it's harder to give him lip service, right? So that talks a little bit more about the tension and the conflict that we'll get into in a little bit uh, later. So we are going to be talking about walking in the Spirit, and uh, we're going to still stay in uh, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read two verses tonight, so if you would just go ahead and stand with me as we read. And it's uh, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come together in this place to worship, to praise, and to draw near to you. In this time, when we say welcome, Holy Spirit, we pray for your holy presence to fill our hearts, open our minds, and to the moving of your spirit in us and among us. In Jesus' name, amen. you can have a seat. So just very quickly, the context uh, for Paul's letter to the Galatians uh, was to address their falling away, falling away from the gospel as they had been taught specifically by Paul. Certain people they called Judaizers were trying to infuse the Torah and its 613 rules back into trying to marry it up, mesh it up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul attacked this very clearly by laying out that the law was what imprisoned everything under sin. His admonition in uh, verse 16 to walk by the Spirit is rooted in the fact that believers, while we are free in Christ from the burden and the guilt of, of our sin, we're not slaves to sin anymore, we are still able to submit again to it what Paul called the yoke of slavery. Okay, so that's the general context. Now, we always like the word studies. The word studies in the ancient languages are very important because they give us more depth uh, to what the English word may be trying to convey. So in this case, the word walk in the Greek is the word peripatao. And that's not peripatato. Although that would be a good way to remember that one. But it's peripatao. And it means to make one's way, progress, to make due use of opportunities. The Hebrew equivalent is the word halak, and it means to live, to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself, or to pass one's life. So I was thinking if you wanted to remember both of those, you could remember that the Halak is the sound a knife makes as you pare a potato. Yeah? Okay. (laughs) Moving on. So immediately from that definition, we see ongoing activity, right? Walk is a verb. It's an action word. In the words progress, to regulate, to conduct... There's activity implied. We also see that a walk is not a part-time, one-time static activity or action. It's not a part-time effort. Now, this theme of walking is echoed in many places throughout Scripture. And if you remember in Pastor Jeff's mission or message um, in June 
on baptism, uh, the, remember the Greek word for baptism was baptizo, right? He said it's a water word, uh, and it means to make whelmed, that funny little word whelmed, or fully wet, to immerse or wash. And also, as we find all throughout Scripture, that a passage through water marks the end of an old life and the beginning of a new life. The end of the old walk and the beginning of the new walk. Now, when we think about a walk with someone else, you know, you take a walk with somebody, there's three components. There's proximity, there's common direction, and there's engagement, right? And so, for instance, if I'm going to say I'm going to take a walk with my wife on the beach, and it's just common sense, right? Uh, We have to be there together. Because if I'm at home and she's walking on the beach, we're not walking together, right? There has to be a common direction. We can both get to the beach, but if she goes to the north and I go to the south, yes, we're walking, but we're not walking together. And then there should be some level of engagement, especially when you're walking with somebody that you have a relationship with. Now, I will tell you, there are times when I'm walking with my wife and we say absolutely nothing. But words are not necessarily lack of engagement, right? We could be holding hands. We could be in the moment together, enjoying each other's company, not saying a word, but there is some sort of engagement. Okay. Now, if we overlay those components with this idea of walking with the Holy Spirit... We can start with proximity to God, what the Bible talks about drawing near. Now, to be clear, we're talking about spiritual proximity now, right? Not physical. And to get the walk started, God makes the invitation. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, he says, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's an invitation there. But there's also a requirement. The requirement is that we make the first move. There's an old Chinese proverb that says that journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Well, we are to make the first step. And God even tells us what that first step is supposed to be. In uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the very first step in the walk is an act of faith. You set aside all your intellect, you set all aside whatever the world tells you, whatever you're thinking, and you start with an acceptance that God exists. That's the first step. And then in James 4.8, we read about what God's response to that is. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the, the, the process of walking with God, walking in His Spirit, begins with an act of faith, and that it engages God to come alongside and walk with us. So we have proximity, and then we have common direction. Right? We have to be going in the same direction to say we're walking together, or walking with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the Greek word here for in step is the, Greek, is the word stoikeo, and it means to proceed in a row as the march of a soldier, to go in order to direct one's life and to live. So, not only do we see, again, this idea of ongoing activity, but there's also another dimension here. There's some structure and there's some order, right, to the walk. 
Now, as a former military officer, I resonate with that because I've marched in formations. I've been leading formations. Um, and there are two fundamental elements when you're in a formation march uh, that I think are, are useful for illustration here. There's commands and there's cadence. Right? So commands are the instructions that the leader of the formation give that provide the direction for the formation. Forward march, left face, right face, about face, halt, things of that nature. Without commands, the formation goes nowhere. Just a bunch of people standing around looking at each other. Okay? Now, in case you're wondering, in this, in this example and analogy, we expect God to be giving the commands and setting the direction. Amen? We'll talk a little bit about what happens when we don't do that. So, some commands as they pertain to walking with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. They're synonymous terms. Romans 13, 13. Walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy. Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering, offering and a sacrifice for God for a sweet to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Colossians 1:10 Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So there's some there's some there's some substance to the walk and God gives that substance to us, right? He's giving us those commands in the direction that gives us an idea of what the walk is supposed to look like. Okay? So that's commands. The second part of a formation marks is the cadence. Now, the cadence is the rhythm and the speed at which the formation moves. There's half step, quick step, double time, you know, uh, left, right, left, right. So you know which foot is supposed to go down at what time. It's that rhythm. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the sense of con connection with the other folks in the formation. right? So some godly cadence we see also back into the Word. Matthew 6.33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it gives you, the, and there's lots more, but it gives you this idea that our, our walk has, there's more to the walk than just being by ourselves. And so what I ultimately draw from all this is that walking the Spirit is not haphazard or disorganized. It's not a gaggle, what we used to say. It's not a gaggle, okay? So God sets that order and structure to our relationship with him. Remember, the walk is just a metaphor for our relationship with God. Okay? Now, I want to be very clear. We're not talking about mindless conformity. Because the imagery that, that goes along with uh, soldiers in formation uh, could take your, your mind down a, a different path. So this is not mindless conformity. But unity grounded in common devotion to God. Now, Michael Thompson last week also addressed this, and I think it bears repeating. He said, God never desired mindless following, robotic, uninspired, insipid, or automated obedience. Our obedience to God 
rises out of a connection of love to God. Okay. So he sets some order in our structure. But that's not only that, there's a bonus. The, the bonus part of that is we are not left to our own devices to figure out how to walk with him. And I don't know about you, but that's a hallelujah moment. Right? I mean, I can't even make my way around in Orlando, Florida without a GPS or my wife telling me where to turn next. And sometimes the GPS isn't even helpful. I can't even begin to imagine how difficult it would be for me to try to figure out how to walk with God if he didn't give me some help. Amen? Okay. So now, just like uh, troops that are in a formation, they're, they're listening to the commands, they're following the cadence, it is very possible to fall out of step. Right? So keeping with the, the, the imagery of the formation, there's two ways you can do that. The first one is trying to issue the commands yourself instead of following God's commands. And there are, two, there are lots of examples in, in, in the Bible, but there are two that I want to point out. The first one is Moses. Moses, when he was in the wilderness with the Israelites, they were wandering around in the desert. And they ran out of water. They got thirsty. They complained to Moses. Moses complained to God. God says, okay, go over to that rock. Strike it with your staff and the water will come out. So Moses pops to, salutes smartly, walks over the rock, bangs it with his staff. Here comes the water. Okay, fast forward, same thing. They ran out of water. The people complain to Moses. Moses complains to God. God says, okay, see that rock over there? Go over and speak to the rock and the water will come out. So Moses, for some reason, he diligently followed the command the first time. The second time, he decided he was going to issue his own command and do the same thing he did the last time, strikes the rock. Now, the water still came out, but God was angry with him. And it had some pretty significant consequences for Moses. Ultimately, he was unable to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering around. Okay, so there's some importance behind following those commands. The second example is with King Saul. Um, the Israelites, uh, their army was out, and there was a, an enemy army, and they were facing up, and there's this big battle that was getting ready to start. And as was their practice, they were waiting on the prophet, in this case the prophet Samuel, to show up, to make a sacrifice to God, to inquire of the Lord how the, the battle would go. And that's just the way they did things. Well, for some reason... Uh, Either Saul was scared or he got, uh, he got nervous. He decided that he wasn't going to wait for Samuel and he was going to issue his own command and go and offer the sacrifice. Again, like Moses, with personal detriment, but also to the detriment of the Israelites. Okay, so trying to make commands yourself, that's one. The other one is to try and call the cadence yourself. We've, we've talked about that before. It's, it's running ahead of God and his plans or falling behind, you know, one of the two. And Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Jeremiah eighteen fifteen. But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They make them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk in side roads, not the highway. Right? Getting out of cadence. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, of course, very, very famous verse, very well known. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has the plan. He has the cadence. He has the commands. Our responsibility is to follow. So the third part of the engagement or the walking process is that engagement, the idea of engagement. Okay. So here's a fundamental truth. Walking in relationship with God requires our participation, our focus, and our intentionality. In Deuteronomy 6.5 we read, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Psalm 119.15 I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. In Proverbs chapter 22, or we read, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, hmm, good order, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So all those verses, and again, there's many more, that kind of that shows you, that gives us the idea of what the rhythm and flow of our walk should, should look like. So now I want to talk a, a few minutes about the, what do you just call the operation of the walk? How, how is that? What are the mechanics? You know, what does that kind of look like? Um, and I'm going to use an analogy. Okay. So most of us, I'm going to assume all of us that live in this technic, technical age, we have a basic understanding of computers. Okay. Uh, we use them every day. Sometimes we don't even know we're using them and we're using computers. And there are two basic components to a computer. There's hardware and software. Okay, now the IT people will say, well, there's firmware too. Okay, got that. But uh, uh, just very simply, hardware and software. Hardware are the physical parts, right? The circuit boards, the memory cards, the wiring, the heat sinks, all the things that you can touch. The software, these are the instructions that tell a computer what to do. The entire set of programs and procedures and routines associated with the operation of a computer system. Now, a key piece of software is called the operating system, the OS. And that's the program that after it's been initially loaded into a computer by a boot program, it manages all of the other application programs in that computer. It's the interface between the computer user, you and me, and the computer hardware. Okay? So I think we all kind of got that. The, the operating system provides that basic functionality that all the other programs require to operate. And those programs or applications, apps as we call them for short, they have to be developed specifically to run on that operating system. Everybody knows if you've got an Apple anything, you can't run Android anything on it and vice versa. They're not compatible. They're not, they're not designed to work together. So, imagine your spirit is your body's operating system. And the natural spirit, the one that was issued with you from the factory, so to speak, um, is to continue with the IT terminology, it's ridden with bugs, it's full of design flaws and vulnerabilities. 
And so what are vulnerabilities in the computer world do for us? They make us susceptible to hacking, right? And so your natural, natural spirit, your natural operating system is susceptible to hacking by our enemy. Okay. Now God, who is the ultimate software developer, has created this wonderful library of apps for every part of your life. Everything that you and I need to properly function. Let's call them Jesus apps. Okay? There's prayer apps. There's praise and worship apps. Study apps. Wisdom apps. And so on. And these apps are available to us for download for free on the, ba- the BIOS, the Basic Interface BIOS Library Eternal. Basic Interface BIOS Library Eternal. The Bible. Okay, yeah, see what I did there? Okay. Now, just like computer apps, Jesus apps are designed to function with only one operating system. That's the HSOS, the Holy Spirit operating system. Okay? But don't worry, Jesus apps are smart apps. They scan your hardware when you try to download them to see what operating system you're running. And if it's not the HSOS, you get prompted to download it first. You download the HSOS. It's what we call the salvation process. Now, just in a very encapsulated form, that salvation process is the recognizing that we are under God's wrath and judgment, and that we are in need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and that we invite Jesus Christ into our life, right? That's the salvation process. Again, very encapsulated. But when you do that, you are essentially downloading Holy Spirit operating system into your hardware. Amen? Okay. Now, here's where the analogy kind of falters a little bit. A computer system again, as far as I know, can only run one operating system at a time. Unfortunately for us human beings, the old OS, the natural operating system, is still there and it still works. It still functions. But just like trying to run an application that's not written for a particular operation or operating system, uh, when we try to run our lives by the old operating system using the Jesus apps, there's incompatibility. There's, it doesn't work. Our, we're fighting over resources in the computer world. There's oh, power, right? Uh, memory and storage processing. Those are the resources that applications uh, sometimes fight each other over. For us, it's our devotion. It, it's our time. It's our love. They're incompatible. So if I was going to paraphrase 1 Corinthians 2.14, it might go something like this. The natural operating system does not accept the Holy Spirit operating system because HSOS is gibberish to it. And it is not able to understand the coding because it's written in spirit language. Okay. So hopefully at this point, have a little bit of better idea how, you know, the, the idea of a walk 
right, with Holy Spirit, a little bit about how it operates. But there's still a fundamental question there is, uh, and I ask is, how do I know, right? How do we know uh, when we're walking in the Spirit? What evidence is there in my life that I'm walking with Holy Spirit? It's a fair question. Just like with your personal trainer. You expect to see results. Amen? Okay. So Galatians 5 helps, helps us to answer that question. Uh, in verses 19 to 23, we read, Now the works of the flesh, the works of the natural operating system, are evident. There's a laundry list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's just the short list, folks. Okay? And I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus' apps won't work. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And just so you know, we're going to dig a lot more into the fruits of the Spirit next week with Wally Schilling. So you want to make sure you're here for that. Now, we can use these verses as a litmus test. right? So in my everyday life, do I look, do I think, do I act like flesh, like the old operating system, or do I look, think, and act like Holy Spirit? Now, there's three ways that we can approach this. I think they're fairly practical. The first one is to get a godly assessment, right? Probably always a good place to start with creator of all things, right? Uh, the psalmist in uh, Psalm 139 said it this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Now, in case you're wondering, God already knows our hearts and our grievous ways. He knew all of those before he even created us. Okay, But remember, Psalms are poetry, so there's some poetic uh, uh, rhythm to this. And these verses, what they reflect, though, is a heart that's surrendered to God. One that trusts that he will reveal the brokenness and show us the right way to live. Okay? So, and that's through your prayer life. You know, you talk to God. You ask God to give you some insight on how you're doing. Doing the pulse check. The next is some honest introspection. Now, that's just you looking inward. Right? That's generally you by yourself looking at you. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Because, you see, we each know things about ourselves that no other human being knows. And especially the things that are contrary to Holy Spirit. We know them. We can't ignore them. We can't pretend they don't exist. Well, we could pretend, but at the end of the day, we're not lying to ourselves. We know. We can convince ourselves outwardly that it's not important. We can not factor those things into our relationship with God, but we're deceiving ourselves because we know the truth about ourselves. Amen? We do. 
And God knows too. So the honest introspection is, is more about the genuineness of your walk. Are you, are you genuine in, in your pursuit of God and His Holy Spirit? And then there's believer's counsel. Proverbs 26, 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In Colossians 3 we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Because you see, friends in the faith, and I emphasize in footstomp, friends in the faith, are uniquely positioned to speak truth into our lives. So we ultimately are seeking that direction from God. We do some inward introspection to see, are we really being genuine here? And then we look to our brothers and sisters in Christ for an outside opinion. They're the ones that see us, that hear us, that interact with us. And because, going back to the formation analogy, we're all in the same formation, we're supposed to be, all walking in the same cadence to the same commands, it should be an ebb and flow. And your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ can give you that direction and give you another pulse check. Am I walking? What do you see from me? Are there any fruits of the Spirit? And they can give you that godly correction. And the other dynamic that it's, it's at play here too, which you don't want to forget, is God will sometimes speak to us through other people. And if you've ever had somebody come up to you, especially somebody that's not necessarily on the inner circle of your life, and say, I have a word from you from the Lord, and here it is, and it makes sense, it fits, and it's amazing, right? That's very, that can be a very powerful thing. So God will speak to us through other believers. And so all of this, as I said, is, I think it's very practical but you might be, okay, think, okay, well, where, where's the spiritual part of it? And I hesitate to use the word supernatural because that has a lot of bad connotations in our, in our culture. But it really is. It's extra natural. It's beyond the natural. So these are practical things. We're praying. We're interacting with each other. I'm, I'm praying to God. Well, this is all the nexus. I just call it the nexus between the practical and the spiritual. Because as you engage this way, your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit... Uh, will increase, as will your ability to discern his promptings and to recognize his voice, to be able to understand the commands, to be able to know, oh, that's the cadence. I got the cadence. I'm in the rhythm. You know, here I am, right? And this is even more evidence that you're walking in the Spirit. Now, certainly there are aspects of walking with Holy Spirit that are very personal. We we're talking about some of them. But, again, with the formation... Uh, the walk is in really, in part, it's, a te- it's kind of a team sport, right? The formation is just another way to say the body of Christ. We were never intended to go it alone. Now, there are periods in your life where, yes, you may be alone. Uh, just, that's the way life is. But that's not the permanent circumstance God wants us to be in. God wants us to be in the body, in the formation, so to speak. There's the community of the walk. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 26, If one member suffers, 
all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10.24, 10, 24, and 25, again, let us, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the last aspect of the walk that I want to touch on concerns the enemy, because there is an enemy to the walk. We read in Galatians 5.17 that the desires of the flesh are in conflict with Holy Spirit. And we know that we have an adversary who is also in conflict with Holy Spirit. So it should come as no surprise to us which side the enemy is going to take. Amen? Okay. Just as we are actively drawing near to God, we are pursuing Holy Spirit in our daily living, the enemy, so too, will be actively trying to derail us, actively trying to get us out of step, out of cadence, try to get us to leave the body, to leave the formation, to go off on a side road and not on the highway. That's his goal. 1 Peter 5.8, again, a very very uh, popular verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Right? So the enemy is out there, and he's in conflict with you. But James 4, 7 gives us the hope when he says, submit, to yourself, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit first, Resist, and then the devil will flee. Now, I will submit to you that when you are in submission to God, and that is your lifestyle, you are walking in Holy Spirit, you are bound by nature resisting the devil. It no longer has to be something you literally do. Satan, get thee behind me. Your whole life will be repulsive to the devil. Amen? That's a great goal. So, there is an enemy. Maintain your situational awareness. Why? Because sometimes our walk gets tough. Sometimes it's really tough. And sometimes that's the enemy doing his best to get at us. Again, to get us out of the formation, to get us out of the body, to get us off on another path. So let me leave you with this final thought. And this comes from uh, the daily devotion that Pastor Jeff puts out, Words of Faith, back from the 20th of June in 2019. And he said it this way. Life in the Spirit is the simple goal God has for every believer. God desires for us to walk in freedom from sin, led by His Spirit within us. The goal is to find ourselves increasingly controlled by, and surrendered to Holy Spirit in our day-to-day living. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Holy Spirit. We thank you for Word. We thank you for Jesus, Word made flesh. Lord, we thank you for the entire package, the whole benefit. We thank you. 
And we ask, Lord, that in our day-to-day lives that you would, you would draw near. You fulfill that promise as we are drawing near to you. You draw near to us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.